are you done with the laser pointer yes. in your nose and your teeth and all that stuff? That's a fancy laser pointer. How long have you had that? Uh, wow. Well, yeah. He made it himself. For what? To use for my seminars. Oh. Don't point that at people's eyes. You. It's idiot. at his mouth. Okay. It's close to his eyeballs. It ain't gonna. Right. That's a myth. Didn't you go to third grade? Yeah, and it's a so, myth. It ain't gonna burn your eyes. Well, I'd rather not find out. No, no okay, right. we'll point it at your <clears throat> own eye. I just did. I'm good. You okay. could actually, if there's anybody to test it on, it'd probably be all right to try your right eye right Are now. Are we gonna start this podcast <laughs> Sorry. now or not? Looks like he's got pink eye over there. You yep. shoot it with laser. All right. <laughs> Don't laugh at him, Nick. You're just <laughs> egging them on. This this is not. Not appropriate talk for a podcast or anything other kind of cast. Okay, so <laughs> welcome everyone to Raised Hunting's podcast. Uh, I have no idea what you're going to have just heard, but we, I'll just, I do this when I meet new people anywhere that I go. I just say, look, man, I want to apologize now. And then I introduce them to my kids and that apology covers everything. Okay, so I just... I just have no idea what they're going to say or do, so I'm just going to say, hey, man, I'm really sorry. Man, you really raised us good. Yeah. Had no idea it was being so creative when I was made. Okay. Okay. So, anyhow, like today we're going to – would you shut up? <laughs> so, today we this are going to talking. talk about shot placement, which is – shouldn't be a controversial topic, but, man, holy cow, if you go on the internet, uh, it's quite the topic yeah, from – <clears throat> shot angles to where you're aiming, how you're aiming, how far. I mean, there's a lot of factors. The animal that you're hunting, there's a lot of different factors that factor into making a good shot on an animal. Um, I, I guess at the end of this, I hope that what we all get out of this is that we are killing animals. I understand that, and I think every hunter understands that, but we need to try to do that in the, mu- in the most humane and ethical way possible. So regardless of the outcome, we're trying to make that that outcome happens as painless and quickly as possible for that animal. They deserve that. So with that, I'll open it up and say, you know, let's talk a little bit about shot placement. We've got a diagram here that we'll kind of be referring to. And for those folks that will be able to see um, the podcast, it might help them. But we'll try to describe we'll things the best we too, can yeah where we can describe some what extra visual about. aid well you'll be able to see it on spotify as well yeah yeah well this one we're gonna try to make a little more visual for you guys because this actually came from you guys so thank you for asking us questions because that's the whole reason we're doing this one is we had a couple people after the broadhead podcast that are we referred to a few things that i think confused some people um so one thing i think that we could honestly start with we say it's not controversial but at the same time when you think about it I think probably the number one, I don't know if the word is woundier, wounder, the number one reason animals are wounded is probably just because of the shots people take. Oh, I yeah. Not I necessarily the distance or their shot ability or anything else. It's just poor shot angles. Yeah. Um, poor, you know, and, and so here's where I would come from, and I can't speak for these two, so maybe that starts controversy between us, but. Um, there's only two shots that we should be taking when it comes to a white-tailed deer, and that's broadside or quartered away. Um, I, I guess you could slightly include a quarter two, but, I mean, I'm talking so slight that it's really still broadside. Um, I've met a lot of people that will take that quarter two shot, and I, and I am one of them. I did it, and mine was on an elk. And the day that I did that, and 
said, okay, all I got to do, the elk was, the bull had come running in. I had five days into the hunt. I'm like, oh boy, I got to kill an elk here. And he stops at eight yards, nine yards, broad, not, not broadside. He didn't make it to broadside, but he's facing me. So he's pretty severely quartering too. And I'm at full draw. All I got to do is let down or not. And I talked myself into, you know, if you just put this right behind his shoulder, right where, because you can pinpoint this to the absolute hair where you want to put it there, you'll kill this bull. And I talked myself into it. I released that arrow and that bull died. He was found dead two weeks later on the rancher, the adjoining ranchers. I did not kill that bull. I did not recover that bull. And you since kill then, it, you just didn't recover I did it. kill it. And, and, but what that bull was that? Just a small raghorn bull. I mean, I never got to, I didn't get the rack back oh. or anything like that. I just know that they found it because it still had my arrow in it. Yeah. And um, a buddy of mine, the fire chief from Lewistown, Montana, is the one that was able to tell me that he had, he called me and said, Hey, what color were your fletchings? And I told him, and he said, Yeah, they did find that bull. And, uh, and so it, it, that was the place where, and that's been close to 30 years ago or 25 years ago. And from that point forward, I said, I'll never do it again. I, I don't care how big the animal is. I don't care how many days I got into the hunt or whatever it is. I won't do that again. That animal deserved better because I don't know how long he lived. All I can tell you is that he went a mile and a half at least. Um, Cause that's how far I could follow him. And do we you think you got a lung or just straight guts. I might've got one lung, one lung, no liver, obviously uh, no liver. Yeah. Um, arrow went in probably 12 inches, you know, 12, well, 15 so that's, inches. I think that's the, that's what kind of brought this whole discussion up of the argument is I think there's a lot of these guys that are doing the whole five to 700 grain arrow thing strictly for the purpose to take shots like that, that are quartered to or facing them um, to try to, you know, blow through the shoulder. I don't care how many grains you put on your arrow. You shoot an elk in the front shoulder you're not getting enough penetration. I, I would love for anybody to show me video shooting clean through a shoulder. And that's where I think the, the discrepancy comes up is, and this is, this is not, um, <clears throat> it's not an attack on anybody because we just realized this less than probably, what, a year ago? Yeah, if that. Ourselves, that what people think is the shoulder is not actually the shoulder. Well, you got to make sure you clarify because people can't see when you talk about the entire shoulder, the entire shoulder is not a solid bone like the bo- the shoulder leg. They're that f- bone is uh, I think unbelievably people, dense. Yes, that's what. So to try to describe this for everybody that can't see the video, when when you're looking at just a deer broadside and the leg comes up, there's a knuckle. Everybody knows where that knuckle is. From that knuckle, I think that a lot of people believe, and myself was included in this a long time, that. Up from that knuckle, straight up, basically straight up their spine, that whole thing is the shoulder blade, that that whole thing is bone. Well, what we realized, which, and I don't even really understand how it took us so long to realize this. I don't know. Maybe we'll be the only ones that didn't realize it until just now. Nobody's talking but, about it if they are. Yeah, nobody is talking it. about and it. And everybody's teaching you where to shoot them back yonder. Right. So the thing of that knuckle, above that knuckle is nothing. There's not, there's, when I say nothing, meaning there's not bone material there. And then if you have a deer that's broadside and he's facing to the right, on top of that knuckle, to that right, to the right, and then up for probably five to six inches and then back to the left, there's still no shoulder material there. 
So all these guys that are shooting at elk and shooting deer, and they're saying that they're blowing through both shoulders because they're right above that knuckle and to the right. They're not. They're not blowing through shoulders. They're not. They're just shooting. They're shooting. It's the cartilage. There. It's the. It's the. There is something there. It's, it's a part v of the ribs. It, but but it's not bone. bone it's not solid a bone. It's not yes. an inch bone thick. Right. So I think a lot of these guys think that they're getting this penetration of. Oh, I'll show you. I shot through a bull through both front shoulders. And then if you look at it, no, you didn't. You didn't shoot through the shoulders because the shoulder isn't there. If you hit this, the and what I'm pointing to is the very front part of that shoulder or the knuckle or the top plate of the shoulder, that, and you blow through that, then I'd be pretty impressed because that's freaking hard. Really that, hard. Yeah. Well, the knuckle especially. Is the argument whether they can get a pass-through through the shoulder or? Yeah, blowing through both shoulders. I think that you could get enough penetration through one shoulder. Definitely kill one still. Yeah. I mean, that, I agree. I believe that, that you can do that. But shooting through both of them, I would like to see that, uh, see some video of that where you can show me that it hit both shoulders on an elk. On a deer, I think it's still, I won't I like know. it at on all. But some big the Iowa shoulder bucks, plate, you're I think, is much easier to go through than, the, like, the actual, <clears throat> one of the actual bones, whether it's this? the diagonal. Yeah. That's I don't know, dude. I shot that doe two years ago. In the plate or didn't? I thought it hit the joint. No. Right there. And I got a few inches. Angle. It was at an angle. Yeah, it was at an angle. So I think it's going to be a little stronger. And that was because I was but shooting I a 500-grain arrow. Now, I don't know if that was the reason, but I hit her high and hit that shoulder plate. And I got a few inches of penetration, got really lucky, and I poked one long and she, yeah, she yeah, killed her. Um, but that was the first one that I've probably actually legitimately hit in that shoulder plate. And it, I was shocked at the minimal amount of penetration. But at that time, too, I was only – the limbs on my bow were only 62 pounds or something for some reason. Uh, so I was only pulling 60-some. But still, it was amazing. I think that my whole point is I don't care what arrow setup that you're making – you shouldn't be building that arrow setup to try to be able to take a quartering two. Relying or on your shot. equipment to right to take to take either a bad shot that to compensate for it, or even just having your equipment set up so that you can not worry about making a bad shot. Right, but I do think to your point as far as I would be, I'm willing to take a little bit more of a quartering two shot on a deer because of this knowledge now that I know. Because you know you have room to get get in there. If I'm without, if I'm confident it. enough in a shot and it's close enough, you need to move your mic when you keep hacking or whatever there, COVID boy. Um, that <clears throat> nobody's gonna listen to this because of you, or I'm gonna shove it so down far down your throat that you can't do it. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Yeah, you're, you're right. thinking about it. I'm laughing. Anyways, that gives you more room, a little bit more room now. If I was really confident in the shot and he was really close, I would be willing to, to um, take a slightly quarter two shot, but definitely not hard. I would have to, and I don't even know if I could, I would have to, we may have to pull up the vital zone and, and show you exactly the amount that I'd be willing to go because you can see it on most deer, a clear, pretty clear definition of that V that you can hit. Well, I'm I'm of the having made the mistake that I've made before, and it was clearly my mistake. I'm not willing to that quarter quarter two shot. I don't care what the situation is. I'm not taking it. Well, the uh, the, just, the thing I think just, we could speak to real quick too for elk hunters because we do have we've oh yeah been hunting a bunch of elk. Is the frontal shot 
one that's stupid. It's stupid. I don't care <laughs> what the discussion well, is. I know that there's guys out there teaching to take that shot. That's stupid. Well, it's cl- let's clarify. First of all, it's lethal. Yeah, if it it's is made lethal. if it's made correctly, it's lethal. But your your margin of error is slim to none, and there's no need to do it. If you do your setup properly, you shouldn't need to take a full frontal shot. Absolutely, you know. And so when one comes in, and the and the best way that I can describe that to someone is if you hold your hands up and you cup them facing each other is you have a few inches there where the shoulders are facing you to shoot through. It's like a, and it's probably three or four inches wide and six, eight, maybe 10 inches tall. Um, there's lots of things in there. There's the jugular vein. There's the, you can get to the heart. You can get to, but you can't get through both lungs because you're shooting straight on. The air, the. You possibly mar- could if they're inflated. If, if they're inflated you know. and your blades were exactly, pla- I mean, if you were dead center where you might clip both of them, but it's not a highly likely that that's going to happen. And that's saying that you make a perfect shot. The other part of that is if you're off by an inch left or right, Either way, you are not killing that animal. You are going to wound him. You are going to, to, I don't care whose bow it is, and I don't care how much penetration you think you have or how heavy your arrow is or what kind of broadhead you have, you're not penetrating the shoulder of a deer or an elk from straight on. It's not going to happen. Well, and the thing with an elk, too, is we know a deer is one thing. You hit an elk, and you hit him not perfect like that, your chances of finding him are slim probably like 10 percent or less just because elk aren't like deer they don't go in they bed somewhere and they um don't move they'll just they just keep going and going and going and going and now you're trying to trap you're trying to cover gigantic country looking for an elk which i mean they're big but when you're trying to cover 25 square miles they're not that big all right well let's flip the deer around so the quarter so the the straight on or head on shot so it's I, not a good one. So let's do a little summary, though, then, because that was, I think, the statement that we made on the last podcast that people were asking us questions on. Yeah, and and if and if we're confusing you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're and you're confused on what this looks like, you'll be able to see what we're referring to on YouTube and in the use of our vital zone, um, and see that that shoulder swings forward, whether the animal's facing right or left. It has an angle to it. Um, it also, it, you know, what we'll be able to show you is there is such a thing as a no man's land, which is another big controversy where there's some people out there saying there's no such thing. And I will tell you, I don't know how many animals I have seen shot and live from being hit high in the shoulder, which means they were above the shoulder, above the spine. They didn't go through anything. And you get blood above the spine or uh, below the spine. I sometimes I think that it depends again on imp- inspiration or exhalation. I think you could even be below the spine, go through there, and never touch well, the lungs. That's what they're saying though, is that the lungs go all the way to the spine. So yeah, they, and so they're saying that no man, there's no no man's land that exists below the spine. That may be correct, but I, don't, I think, but I do think that it depends on insula- inspiration or exhalation. The lungs inflate, and then they and decompress yeah and but you one thing miss to summarize here because i think we should go right back to that the thing that i was trying to summarize for you guys that we're saying that is so much different that may have thrown some of you off is that if you are like us and you traditionally believed that the shoulder was a whole plate that covered this entire front area from the knuckle up and you avoided it you just see that crease and you're, and you're staying behind that crease. Back of the yeah. leg up. or you're shooting at that <clears throat> knuckle or behind that knuckle you're 
the knuckle is correct. You don't want to hit that knuckle. That What you think that is is exactly what it is. That's a knuckle. You don't want to hit that. But if you go above that knuckle, and depending on which way the animal is facing, we're just going to say it's right so everybody can understand, above that knuckle and to the right, there's a pretty decent area there that is not shoulder. There's no bone material other than ribs. If you can hit them in that, I mean, you're in the by far the best area. That's why they teach you in Hunter Ed that quartered away is the best shot because it gives you the most probability to get into that area without having to hit, without having to contend with the knuckle Any or bones. anything else. Yes. But so back to your no man's land thing real quick. I feel like, and maybe we need to go look at some video because I measured this on a deer he killed one year. Um, I skinned the deer and measured him from his, what was the top of his back down to uh, his spine. I, I can't remember what, exactly what the measurement was, but it wasn't very far. And I think that we have video of a couple deer that we've hit that were below that spine and above the lungs that we never found uh, and or had pictures of them alive. And so I think, one, you could what you're saying – Though the deer inhaling could matter. But the other thing I think that I've seen some of these guys say, well, look at this YouTube video. You can't, you can't argue with that because they have the deer, a dead deer laying on the ground, and then they're filling the lungs up with an air compressor, and it goes to the spine. Well, I have two questions to that, so I guess I'm not making a statement here. I'm questioning it. One, that doesn't, um, that doesn't count for gravity. Does gravity pull those the the organs down, down at all, the weight of the organs? Now, I understand that there's membrane and everything that holds them all in place, but does the weight of the heart and the lungs and everything, does that move it an inch or a half of an inch? Because maybe it's only a half-inch gap, and then does that matter on inhalation or inhaling and exhaling? Does that make a difference? And then the other thing about that is one that the one I saw with the guy filling it up with an air compressor, I want to do a... Um, how, how do you know how much pressure to give it? Because that's expand. what my whole thing was. Is like he was. You could overpressure. He was really exactly. easy. He was putting so much air in there. I was like, man, if they were that big all the time, you could shoot them in the rear, and you're double lunging them. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how you would know exactly how much air to put into that. So I, or how, like how how much pressure to put. Well, in I'm just gonna go on that. record and say, there's a no man's land. You hit them high in the shoulder, high above the shoulder. And that deer runs off, I'm scared. Oh. And and the reason that I'm scared is I've te- seen too many deer, too many deer, too many elk that people have shot, including, I, I don't know that, I'm, I'm trying to think of one that I might have shot there. Um, I don't know of one. If I did, if I think of one, and, I, and there probably is that I've made that mistake. But um, but my point is, I, I know that one, the one that comes to mind is Alyssa shot the buck at the 80 that time. Yes. Hit it high. You're still alive today. I mean, that's been three years ago. Yeah. And we had good blood. Well, we knew he wasn't going to die probably too, though. As soon as it... But by our theory, he wasn't going to die. But by other people's theory is he has to die. Well, that's what, we, that's what I'm saying we need to look at. We need to go back and look at all this video and tell, one, we need everybody to define. Is no man's land mean that there's a space above the spine and to the top of the deer's back that it's not going to die? Well, in my opinion, obviously, that's a, a no man's land because that's there's nothing there to kill him. I think what everybody is trying to say that no man's land is below the spine to the lungs, that there's no gap, that if your arrow enters underneath the spine 
anywhere that it should be left or right, it's going to hit the lungs. That's what I think people are stating. And yeah. I and I I don't have I would have to go back and look at the video and I'd have to go find the measurements I made to see because I'm not 100% sure on that one. Well, the other one that I can think of now that I think about it was a videographer that we had um, that shot one, and I was the one filming him, and he shot it, and that had to be below the spine. It was six, eight inches from the top of the deer's back. See, it went down further than that, I think, though. And it, and it, and that deer, again, lived. We had trail camera photos of it. That deer was absolutely okay. So, anyhow. <clears throat> this is uh... – Kind of off topic. I don't know what he's looking at, but um, you know how when you're ever you're gonna go to this this I I'm asking this because I don't know okay. uh, what you're what you think about it. We've moved or we've discussed how we'll shoot further forward now because we know as long as we hold higher a little higher. Yep, as long as we know which I've done I do for three years or two years now. Um. Do you think that the whole theory behind African animals shooting further forward because their vitals are moved forward or f- sit further forward is exactly what we're discovering here? That's not necessarily the vitals sit further forward. They just know that the shoulder isn't there. No, I think those animals are actually conditioned. I mean, I think that they're anatomically a little bit different to be able to handle the, the terrain and where they live and the heat. Yeah. Everything about them. It's like a like a bear. I Someone needs to explain to me how come every bear you shoot, if you shoot a bear well, they don't go 30 yards, 40 yards. Yeah. They tip over. And I don't know if it's because they're fat and out of shape, <laughs> and so they don't run very far. I don't Too know many if gummy bears. <laughs> it's because their lungs proportionally to their body is smaller, or what? what is it? But when you hit one well, they don't go down. They, I mean, they go down right away. Yeah. You hit an elk really, really well, and even one that you double lung sometimes goes half a mile. Yeah. You know, so I think all these animals are built a little different, and I do think the African animals are pushed forward. I'd like to, to look into that. I, um, but I would it, think so. It's a completely different region. Well, type of well Warren's looking I that up. I found it. I found it. Okay, so you'd be correct there. So this was uh, – oh, shit, wasn't uh, – upside down how do i make it not lock rotate well i want it to rotate yeah lo- and then rotate it then lock your phone okay how do i i'm glad nobody's asking me to do that because oh, i ain't locking nothing see, it moves it the wrong way see what i'm saying okay yeah, so for those of you that can't here. see what's going on right now warren has found something that he wants to show us or so i measured from when easton killed this oh. whole conversation has been going on for years, obviously. And so when Easton killed his buck, I decided that I was going to measure from the top of the deer's back, where the hair ended, right. you know, where the top of his back was, down to the top of his spine. So I cut the back straps out so I would know exactly where the top of the spine is. And then I measured from the top of the back to be able to tell exactly where the spine was and uh, roughly how much, how far down on the from the back did you need to be to be underneath the spine? Okay. Okay. Which I think that says like three, three and, and a half. half. I was say not quite four inches. Three and a half, four inches. So and then I so you can also see I took pictures and we'll put these in the podcast so that you guys I'm can see. I'm holding that that uh, hide back. So there you can see the spine. Yep. 
So I literally, I cut the back strap out so you, you can run the tape measure to the spine. So really, in theory, is what you're saying there is if, one, if you're three and a half inches below the back, you're going to spine the deer. You're going to drop. I guess it probably varies lo- a little bit on the size of yeah. the deer. And, and but, if you hit something that is... But, but that anything beyond three and a half inches below the spine... Is you below would, the spine. Right. You'd be below the spine and you should technically... Kill that deer. Yes. And I think that we've hit several deer or have video or other people where it was definitely four inches or more below the spine or below the back and did not find that deer. For uh, sure. So now here's a question, though, because there was a – I heard several people stating this this year, and we'll just see what you guys think. They were saying, and maybe – so maybe this whole no man's land thing could uh, attest to that if it's true. They were stating that a bunch of deer, not some, a bunch, were living off of one lung. That, we're hitting a, that you're hitting a lung and the deer is living. Mm-mm. Do you think that the no man's land thing could be you're hitting one lung and they're living? There's no way they're living on one lung. What? I, it's, I'm telling you, I mean, I would argue the same thing because I used to work in the fire service and I used to work on people that died. And when one when a person's lung collapses, you'd think it would kill them. However, I have seen with my own eyes someone who collapsed the lung, left the arrow in that animal and shot that animal the next year. And the arrow was still there and that deer did not have another lung. It had lived. and Was the arrow plugging the hole, though? No, it was lodged in the spine. There was eight inches. I could get those video. That, that, That's what um, he's talking about, though. If it's still stuck in there, then it would be I don't, but the there was, but the But the lung still was gone. Still can't imagine that would even be. Yeah, enough. I mean, over the course of the year, this had, the, there was no lung there for this deer. So I would be really curious to see then what is the, and I don't know how you would ever be able to get this metric other than by... Why would some having some tons die? and tons of people do autopsies on their deer? I feel as though I don't know that we've ever had a deer that. Well, I guess if these no man's land bucks are one lung deer, um, so the, hunt I'd say ninety some percent <laughs> yeah. of these deer with one lung are are dying. I I mean I so think a lot of I them guess die. my question is what's the what. How but common could that be? That I don't. That, I, that, again, we're not we're not vets. I don't even know that a vet. You'd have to do a study and see how many. The other thing that you do have to talk about, but I've only seen this once ever from thousands of people showing us deer and sending us pictures and stuff, was that guy that made a absolute perfect shot, and then the deer looked like a balloon. You know what I'm talking about? I think I remember that. So we had a guy that sent us in photos, and if you're out there, I apologize for forgetting your name, but thank you because it's. By far the most amazing thing I've ever seen. He hit that deer perfect, like right here. Right. Absolutely perfect. Could not, you could not have pointed on this deer and, and put the arrow in a better place. And so he shoots this deer, and then he gets trail camera pictures of him. I want to say it was the next day or maybe a few days later. And it looked like somebody had take, Blown the cut deer a up. hole in him and taken an air compressor and filled him up with a balloon. His whole face was swollen Everything looked like everything was swollen. He looked like a Michelin man deer. And then they killed him two weeks later during the rifle season. So the deer lived. And I can't remember if they, I think they looked. And I think that, um, I can't remember if he had hit both. I think he had, I think he'd hit both lungs. And I would have never believed it, believed it unless he sent us the, he had the video of it and the photos and everything else. 
And the only thing I could figure, I I need to go back and see. We need to try and get a hold of that guy and see if it was if it was both lungs or if it was just one. The only thing that I could possibly figure is that somehow he hit both lungs and then that the hide or the membrane managed to seal the hole. It had and, to. And all of his oxygen was filling his whole body up, was which, which is what's making him look yeah. like a balloon. Instead of, yeah, instead of just the lungs. It was or, insane. It was crazy. Yeah, I can't believe I you mean, don't remember that. I do remember it, but I don't remember. I mean, I guess there's always going to be a an anomaly, something that doesn't make sense. Yeah, a one in a million type thing. I mean, so what we're trying to, what I would be trying to do, though, is for the norm, you know, make make the same shot that that now with that guy making that shot, does that mean that he needs to go out and shoot him in a different spot? No. No, yeah. You can't do that. You need to kill him and shoot him in the same spot. And the one thing that see the reason why I said earlier, Easton, that's not gonna change where I shoot because I still aim at the lower third. Yeah. I'm still aiming at the right at the heart, even though I know that a better shot is to hit him in the lungs. I'm anticipating this is on big game animals with four legs. I just did this tip the other day too. Well, I'm anticipating on them dropping. If they don't drop, I am going to go through the heart. And as far as I can tell, every time that we've cut the heart significantly, even with mom's incident where she barely cut it, you kill them. Um, so that's if my arrow goes exactly where I want. If I misjudge the yardage and I shoot under, then I don't kill them. I cut the brisket or I go completely underneath them and I have nothing to worry about. If they duck, as long as they don't duck more than eight inches on a deer, probably, I still am going to kill that animal. Uh, my Oryx is probably one of the most uh, prolific ones that you can watch. At 30 yards, she ducks eight or ten inches, but she's big enough that she still doesn't get out of the way. The other thing is, here's an animal that's broadside. When it ducks, and I know anyone who's bow hunted for any length of time has seen this, you hit them in the broadside part of the shoulder or right behind the shoulder, but it lodges in the spine. You're like, well, how in the world is that possible? It is them ducking and rolling, and they can do it that fast. And this lodged in this oryx's spine, and she hit the ground, and then I shot her again. But And that, and that is something that everyone needs to understand. If you knock an animal off of its feet with a bow and arrow, you need to shoot it again. Oh, yeah. Absolutely immediately. The, um, so I, I think even one, if you're crying... <laughs> Even if you're crying, uh, someone's speaking out of uh, a memory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Easton. It's okay. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, well, I think one thing that's – this is just a good note for people out there that we've experienced. If you shoot a deer and you are aiming at, like, the heart and you think you hit them perfect, you think you hit them absolutely perfect, but the deer's not dead, you probably armpitted the deer. So I think that's got to be one of the most common calls we get, don't you we think? We can go ahead and do a highlight reel of my deer. Yes. So if you hit them low, if you hit – well, let me back up. If you hit them where you think is perfect and you believe you hit them in the heart, but you were out – and this is more for people that are hunting out of a tree, tree stand. stand. I was going to say, tree stands where this happens. Yes, out of a tree stand. It, we get I get there. at least a dozen calls a year from guys telling me I hit him good. You know, but I got down, I looked at blood, and, and I have blood for 150 to 200 yards, and then it runs out, and I, and I can't find anything. So, But he's got to be dead because I hit him good. Well, is what probably happened is, is, one, due to the angle, it looked like you hit him perfect because the fletchings. You see those fletchings or your lighted knock or whatever go in there, and it's angled up, and so you think that you hit that deer 
right in the heart. What really happened is if you're 20 feet up or 25 feet up, the point of impact on where that arrow actually hit is probably three or four inches below where you really thought that it was. And you went right underneath the heart and you came out the bottom of him. And, it, and if you do that, the deer is going to be just fine. That's the good thing about hitting them low compared to hitting them high. You don't need to be, you don't have to worry about it. You don't need to be nervous. That deer is not going to be, he's going to be just fine. As long you can determine show back for sure it's an armpit hit. Not, yeah, yeah, you need to do it, Do your due diligence. You need to really look for blood. Because that's the other thing I'll tell you is after what dad was talking about on mom's incident, if you, if you think that, but that deer doesn't go over and die right away, but you start following blood and you have blood and you have blood and you have blood for the entire time, that deer's dead. If now I would back out because what mom's lived for what? By the time we finally found him dead, it was over twelve hours. Twelve hours. She saw, shot him with you at like eight o'clock in the morning. Right. And the first time that so we jumped we can, him was four or five hours later, and that was with the dog. Right. With the dog tracking. Yep. So I guess to give you guys the insight, so mom and I went hunting. We shot this deer at first light, and I thought she hit him perfect. She thought she hit him perfect. He runs. 150 yards and I was able to see him the whole time and he just stands there and then he beds down but he doesn't go anywhere until lunch and he's still there so then I knew right away well obviously we didn't hit him right in the heart or in the lungs because he's he's not dead I'm I see him over there he's bedded he's seems to be just fine so we backed out we managed to get out of the tree without bumping him and then we came back um later three or four o'clock yeah and bumped him again Anyways, well, that, wait a minute though. That when we when we got him to him that time, he was laying flat on the ground, legs out. Dan walks right up on him, sniffs his face. I pull the dog back and tell him, you know, good boy, we're done here. And then I saw the deer blink. Oh boy! <laughs> and I was like, he'd like some it's like a horror film. With that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is not good. He's coming back. <laughs> so I had at the time we had one of our cameraman guys with him. I asked him to hold Dan. I don't want Dan to get kicked or anything. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to finch this deer off because I don't have any weapon. When bucks fight back. Well, and it didn't <laughs> take long two. to have to figure that out other than by the time I turned around and was going to step toward the deer, the deer not only got up, but it got up and took off running like it was not even hit. But I could see blood coming out of it the moment it had started doing that. And so I was like, okay, just let him go, and we'll put the dog back on him. I wasn't afraid we were going to lose the deer, but I knew that, that it wasn't normal for that deer to be laying flat on the ground like that. Right. That is really weird. All I can think of now is, like, an epic movie film, you know, a scene where, like, there's this close-up and his, and this deer's eye opens, and then it's, like, all red in it. Well, the only and thing. And he just. Yeah, well, imagine. Kill dad. Yes. <laughs> imagine if it had been mom. It was her deer. The only reason is that she wasn't there right that, that moment, if you remember, she'd had surgery. Yeah. She couldn't walk. Right. So she could barely get to a tree stand to hunt. So we were tracking the deer, but it, had she been there, I would have said, grab your deer, let's take a picture. And then you go over and lift his head up, and then he rams his head through your bo- I mean, oh boy. someone could have seriously gotten hurt there. I was That's really scary, actually. <laughs> yeah, so that whole thing of walking up and poking him in the eye is a good idea. you know? Or the butt. Not yeah, maybe stay away the from the head. I poke him in the eye. I take something and touch their eye, and I stay back when I do it. Because I, I mean. <laughs> He's waiting for one to wake up again. Yeah, well, when that one. <laughs> I just RKO him. I just so, find the nearest tree but let, to make sure. <laughs> so anyhow, to, to finish that, though, long story short, we gave the deer a few more hours. We tracked the deer, and then it started raining. We put Dan on. 
excuse me, and we got the and we found the deer about eleven o'clock that night. She had cut, made one slice into the heart of that deer. That's it. One one blade had actually nicked the bottom of the heart, and so the deer was bleeding out. It couldn't clot. And if I remember right, it was like dead center of the heart, right? Like in the middle? It was but in the was middle, the but it was just bottom. the very bottom, and it was just one slight cut. I mean, we were extremely careful when we took that deer, when we um, before we gutted that deer to look and see why was this deer still alive, why was it bleeding the whole time, and what had happened. Yeah. You know, no lung, no lung whatsoever. So it was strictly a heart shot. Yep. Um, what else are we talking about? Well, the other one, flip them around, and because because the Texas heart the Texas shot heart shot. I mean, I still see people, and I've done it again back when before I really felt like um, that I needed to treat these animals better. I guess um, I tried this because I had the shot. He was standing fifteen yards away, perfectly straight away. Nice buck. I'm going to be able to kill this deer, and I put it square right on his tail, and launched an arrow it went in 18 10 12 12 to 18 inches if i remember right it's been a long time and blood squirted over 10 feet in the air it was the most disgusting and he didn't go 15 yards and he was stone cold dead but i hit him absolutely perfect as far as hitting him in the femoral artery it went directly just underneath the the hole of his tail (laughs) his butthole and just went straight in it was sticking up and it was so gross when I walked over because I shot him first thing in the morning. As I'm walking over there, I'm like, what's on my jacket? What I didn't realize, it was blood dripping out of the trees, dripping onto my jacket. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's but insane. So it's, again, it's a very lethal shot. If I had to have a follow-up shot or something like that that I needed to take, it is 100% lethal. If you hit We're it. just talking about the... But it's not the ethical. Odds of, yeah, the probabilities. And, and, th- and that's why I would t- teach anyone and tell everyone I've never done it since then, even though I saw the effects of it. It's just not a highly probable shot. Well, that uh, is even smaller than your frontal shots. Absolutely. What I think, too, honestly, you know, the, I'm trying to think back of, I think that a lot of people don't realize that they're going to get an opportunity. I think that they have an elk or a deer or something at, at 15 yards and he's, facing right at him, and they're panicked that I'm not going to get a shot at this. He's not going to give me the angle I Or you're not going to get another need. shot. Right, or you're not going to get another shot. But I'm really – I'm trying to think back right now, and I can't think of too many. My point is if you wait, the chances that you do get a good shot, broadside or quartered away, are pretty dang good. Because I'm trying – I can't think of one right now off the top of my head where I wasn't able to – I didn't get an animal because – of an a- of an angle, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a few, but I can't think of one that was like that's traumatized me. Well, well I can I can give you an example, not you, but mom last year on KB, she doesn't shoot because he's quartered two at twenty. The one time she said she had him there, he, he was, was quartered too far, and no, he was she, moving. He, she said that she it she tells she says on camera. That at one point he was 22 yards, something like that. He was close enough. Yeah, but he was walking the whole time. I thought he stopped. Uh-uh. And and she was like, because I, I, she was already at full draw. She thought about shooting and didn't. Yeah, he was walking the whole time, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, that deer was not, he never stopped moving. That also comes down to body language, though, being able to read body language as far as knowing that you're going to get another shot or get an angle it was. to understand how comfortable, especially with elk, well, like if they're coming into a call, how comfortable they are. How, like you can kind of predict what they're going to do depending on their body language if you get good enough at reading it. And with a whitetail, depending on the reason that they're coming in or if they're just coming by, 
that's partly why you set your stands in certain situations because you know that they're going to be coming from a certain way, certain area, and you can already kind of set yourself up for a broadside or a quartering away shot. Well, to elk, you're you you're almost you're more reliant on your partner than you are yourself because mm-hmm. if you really know what you're doing, the way that you've taught us and what we've had with elk, we're always pulling those bulls past us. You're not calling They're, the bull to someone, you're right? So I could see for the someone. guy who's trying to have has to call for himself. Makes yeah, it you're going to be probably have a lot more difficulties with getting a really good broadside shot because elk a lot of times they're going to come right at you if if they're super fired up they're not trying to go downwind or anything like that but for the ones where when, when you have somebody calling for you i most of the bulls that you've called for me i mean it works like oh yeah when it works it works perfect and they well, come right by a broadside that's a whole nother podcast because that's the tip of the day don't ever go elk hunting by yourself and you'll see you're going to be not 50% more successful because there's two of you, you're going to be 50 times more successful. Yeah, if you're if you're calling, if that's the... If that's the strategy yep. you're using. John last year, that bull, he put... That, he couldn't have done that right. any more perfect for me. I mean, yep. 25 yards, broadside, huge open window. Bull was going to kill him. Okay, so let's... But then there's, there's, another, there's several more here, I think. Laying down. No. Laying down, and people just don't realize how hard. Now, other than a follow, now again, we I want to make sure that I clarify that follow up shots are completely different. Yeah, follow up shots pretty much. If I feel like I have an animal that I have wounded significantly, I may not know whether I double lunged him, single lunged him, liver shot him, gut shot him. The moment that I feel like that I have hurt an animal significantly, then my objective then is to get as many arrows in him as I can. Yeah, let her fly. Let her fly. I, yeah. I just mean, to put it out of its misery. Absolutely. Because you just want to keep shooting it. <laughs> but bedded animals, like spotting and stalking something and shooting it while it's laying in its bed, it's just a freaking really risky opportunity because their their shoulder is designed to cover their vitals when they're laying down. And so what you see a lot of times is that someone will hit one and they'll jump up. Boy, when they jump up, it doesn't look like they hit them anywhere near where they were aiming when they shot them laying on the ground. Yep. It looks totally different. And so, you again, bedded shots along with frontal shots and straightaway shots are just off the board. Off, They just shouldn't exist in a, in a um, archery person's Should repertoire. Should we even cover shooting them in the head? And well, you know, we get quite I, every year. I get someone that said does that with a bow and arrow tells me they shot him right in the neck. I was gonna say the neck or the head. neck or the head, and it's just not a highly, uh, it's just not a high probability shot. I also now, now maybe this is out of pocket, but like a head shot, obviously, if you can put it in the right spot, it's gonna kill him super fast. But I think it's flat out disrespectful, honestly. Well, I think so they, the, well, the biggest thing we're talking about here is we're trying to look at everything, every shot that we take, every scenario, every instance, from the animal's perspective, okay? Because we we heard a podcast the other day, too, where guys were talking about, well, not everybody has time to hunt all season. That may be true. But basically, they justified taking worse shots because of limited time. And if you have limited time and you can't get the right shot, you don't get a shot. Yeah, that's just not fair to the animal to say, well, you know, since I got to be at work on Monday, I might stick an arrow in your rear just because I don't have another shot. So I'm going to make my arrows heavier to try to get through your rear end. That's that's BS. Um, 
we have to look at that from the animal's perspective of we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that that animal never even knows that we shot it to try to be as ethical as possible. And shooting one in the head is just stupid because, two, a deer doesn't have to do anything to move his head, and you miss, and you hit him in the mouth or in the eye or whatever else. Um, you're just being selfish at that point if you're if you're trying to shoot stuff in the head, especially with a bow. It's just stupid. We're just looking at the, the – so the, the lowest risk shot is broadside or quartered away. And that's what – and, I mean, we teach it to the kids that we teach in camp, um, you know – can you get lucky and hit one in the neck and kill it? Yes, you can get lucky and hit one in the liver, and they die super quick. Get lucky and hit one in the butt. I've seen hit the artery. Well, I've seen one shot in the foot and died from a bullet, never with a bow. But I saw one that uh, out in Montana at Whalen's shop. He's like, you got to see this because it's the only hole in this deer, and and it was a mule deer, and someone had shot it just right by the not in the shoulder. We're not talking about up in the body. We're talking about in the leg. And the deer was stone cold dead laying there at the meat well, I hope so if he got into the meat locker. Hit the artery? <laughs> it had to have hit something or a vein or something that it just it didn't cl- couldn't clot and bled out. Yeah. Well that's and, interesting. Um we're not saying bad shat bad shots. Bad <laughs> shots aren't going to happen either because they absolutely are. We're just talking about trying yeah. to mitigate them. So that would be one we're thing. We're also I do think. clarifying big game animals because if we're talking about headshots on a squirrel. Or, or, or a turkey is what I was yeah. referring yeah. to. The liver, I think the liver could be a good one to talk about, too, because I feel as though we've learned quite a bit about the liver in the last two years, three years. As far as shot placement, if you hit them in the liver, this is more towards recovery, I guess. I have a theory now that comes from our youth camps when we do a, uh, we call it the water shoot, where you take two Ziploc bags and you put them on a pendulum, and then the goal is to try to dump the other person's well, you're trying to get your end to go up. So you're trying – or, yeah, your end to go wow. up. You're trying to hit the Ziploc bag with water full full of it. So you're trying to hit the bag as low as you possibly can so that the pendulum goes down on their side. Um, so the I think that's only the reason that makes – way you could have possibly <laughs> described that. Because you don't understand the word pendulum? No, because you couldn't get <laughs> think, it out. I think you say teeter-totter. It's on, it's on a teeter-totter, and Good you're just trying goodness. to knock the water out on your side. The other person's goes down. Yours goes up. You win. Holy cow, that was so much easier. It makes sense. Okay. Well, what happens, though, when they hit the the bag at the top of the bag? Then one of them leaks a little bit, and it starts to go one way or the other. Right. It doesn't leak all the way out. Yes. So where we're going with that is my theory is they'll tell you, you hear a bunch of people say, and I agree with them to an extent, if you hit a deer in the liver, you know, you should give them overnight at least. You know, that's what they tell you what. 12, 18 hours, something like that. Um, and I think that's true, unless you hit him in the bottom of the liver. Because all your liver does is it has all the blood of the body. It's really vast. And, it's, and it holds blood for the body. When you hit him in the bottom of the liver, I think that it's like the water chute. I think that it immediately all the blood is out of that deer, and they are dead in no time. Juice. So juice was a really interesting one because we had snow on the ground. And for those of you listening that don't know, Juice is a deer my dad killed two years ago. We just had a fresh snow, only about an inch or so. He shoots Juice, hits him a little bit back, and hits him what we believe to be right dead center of the liver. Blood went everywhere immediately, just gushing blood. So we get down. Dad's nervous about it. We look at and at the blood, and there's blood all over the place. Yeah, we could see but it for 50 decided, yards. 
it was morning, so we're like, you know what, let's just go, we'll make ourselves, we'll get lunch, we'll relax, we'll try and just get ourselves to wait a few hours before we, I think we even went to town or something like that, just to try to keep ourselves from going and looking for him. So, long story short, we go back, and we start on the blood, and we have just just loads of blood for about another, what, 100 yards? 100 yards, maybe. And then it's completely gone. All of the blood is gone, and we're... Um, I think you were kind of panicked. Oh yeah, I'm I like, was pretty freaking confident that. Well, he we was have dead snow right on the ground there. and no blood, and I'm like, what? And no deer, and tons of blood before. Yeah, I mean, yes, and, and so and, it was highly confusing. And so then it is what happened, what I believe happened. I went over the hill, and Juice was dead right there. Probably only got another what, fifty yards? Maybe even that. Fifty yards or so from the last blood, he didn't make it very far. So what I believed happened especially after we gutted him, the only thing you hit, I think, was liver, wasn't it? Yep, dead center. Right in the middle of liver, to, towards the lower third of it, that all of the blood, he, you cut such a huge hole in him that all of the blood was already out of him within 100 and some yards, and he just managed to make it, you know, 180. Just adrenaline carried him. And another. he was dead. Now, the thing about it, though, is he definitely had died right away because he was stiff, stiff. as a board. So... And that only thing that hit was hit there was the liver. But now I think that you you clipped the top of the liver or something like that, and you may be in for a for a long wait because he's still able to function. He's still able to get some blood in there. But I think the longest one we saw was Jess Hoffman shot that antelope in Wyoming, and he and she hit um, one lung and liver, and he made it like eighteen hours or something yeah, like he that. He made it a long time, and there was no way to get close to him to to finish him off without the risk of spooking him off. Right. But I, I shot, uh, I mean, I, we should, I guess no shot angle would not be appropriate if you didn't talk about gut shots. Um, gut shots, honestly, don't worry me so much because I know that animal is dying. Yeah. I know they're going to die. And maybe it's since we got Dan and we have a dog that can track them, I now know that I'm looking for a dead deer. However, I have seen them alive over 18 hours later. Couldn't I've seen it over yeah, 30 you, now. Yeah. Something yeah, it's 32, I think. But a deer that was recovered, but it was still yeah, alive. Yeah, they, they they found him 48 hours later. Right. Was that this year? Yeah, that's when I went with the hunting public guys to um, – he gut shot one of his deer. And when I was there, it was a solid you guys 24 hours. Him. 24 hours, and Dan struggled hard to get because there was like hardly any blood and the only thing we found we finally got to the end where i couldn't get dan to take a track anymore and i found one bed where he had it was like fresh blood which dan had taken you to that right got me to there and it was all fresh blood and we're like he had to have been like it was pretty apparent that he was there within 30 minutes and we busted him and that was 24 hours after the the initial shot then they ended up finding him the following day yeah, because you guys backed out at that point mm-hmm. and said, "Because okay. we're like, holy cow, I think he's still alive." Twenty-four hours later, Jeez. they ended up finding him the next day. Yeah, that's that's a long time. Yeah, it is. I mean, the one I'm referring to, I shot in Illinois one year, and the deer I shot him back came into a decoy, and when I shot him, I knew I screwed up. I hit him too far back, but mid body. I mean, I knew I was guts, maybe some liver, and he took off running and. We ended up finding that deer the next, I shot him at like four o'clock in the afternoon on that evening and it snowed and rained 
And then two, three of us came back to look for him the next day. And about eight o'clock, guy hollers, I got him. And he was still, and again, he was blinking. He, I mean, he was still alive. And um, so we're looking at 12, 16 hours later from a gut shot that that deer was still alive. So, but, but my point is, is they're going to die. Anyone out there that thinks that if you go up to your arrow and you got this green, nasty enough, nasty stuff on it, it stinks. And you're like, oh, well, I gut shot him. He'll probably be okay. Cause I think it was way low or whatever. They can't survive that. They're going to die of septic shock. It may take them a while, but it, and the best description that I can give someone for that is think about when you've ever burped or, and you get back up some of the bile that's in your stomach and it burns your throat envision that entering your body and that's what's happening to that animal once you cut their gut on the inside they can be nerve-wracking though because they are hard to track for sure gut shot deer it the best case scenario in my opinion is if you can get a gut shot deer you know that he doesn't scream off and go hauling and he kind of just saunters and takes his time where you know that you're going to have at least a, a general vicinity to be able to get close to and then if you have a dog that you can put on them that'd be ideal scenario but the biggest one that and we all face it we face it every year turkey season deer season elk season i don't care who you are is you shoot something and it runs out of sight do i go look for it or not and that is a and that is a case by case you're the only different it's always different but if you think that that animal is not dead immediately and and that you're trying to get another shot at them don't go when in doubt back yeah just wait and give them time that um, picture I was just looking at, I was one that Christo tracked, uh, 48-hour track, or like 48-hour old track. The guy had hit it three times prior. Um, one of them, I, I wasn't, or I guess I, when he gutted it, I didn't see where, where we didn't pull it all out. Um, but one of them was, I don't know how it wouldn't have hit guts. One of them was like in a leg, and the other one flat out missed. He had two arrows in him, and 48 hours later, he was still alive when we found him. And then he had to shoot him again and finally killed him. But the one arrow, obviously the one, like I said, was in the leg, but the one that he had hit it with was like mid-body, and I don't. the deer was not doing good at all. Like it probably would have died, but I don't think it had to have been in the guts. But that's 48 hours. Arrow still in him? Mm-mm. Arrow come it out? come out. Yep. Yeah, that, I mean – the will to live from a wild animal is pretty substantial and they'll do just about anything they can to try to survive that. But so I think to summarize what we're talking about is we do believe there is a no man's land. I think that would be number one. Well, I think it depends on the definition. Well, but I'm going to disagree with the definition. I think there is no man's land below the spine as well. I've the spine's too close to the top of the back for it not to be. I'm saying I'm indifferent for now until I do further research. Uh, here's what I guess I, I'll, I'll clarify. I call no man's land what is above what I know is the good part of the shoulders, where if I hit them there, I'm killing them. Somewhere up in there, I don't know whether it's above or below, but I can tell you right now I've seen a lot of people lose a lot of deer and have long tracks because they get a lot of blood from arrows in that area, and then they don't ever find that animal. So... I do believe there is some form of a no man's land. I do believe that there's no reason for someone archery hunting to take a straight on or a straightaway shot. I think we should, or and or two. quartering too. I think we should be looking for a quartered away or broadside shot. 
And yes, does that mean going to what you said earlier, Easton, does that mean that sometime you're going to go home without killing an animal, even one that you spent a week or 10 days or two weeks, or you just, I mean, I'll use my lifelong goal has been to kill an Alaskan moose and I just can't go there and shoot one in the front shoulder intentionally because you only have because I only have this one chance to do this because I'm probably going to get to go one time in my life if I ever get to go. I can't yep. do that. I have to go into that knowing that moose doesn't deserve that because the worst thing well, in it's the no world, different. It's called holding yourself accountable. It's no different than just not getting a shot in the first place. I yeah. don't see it as I missed an opportunity if it doesn't turn the right way. Just there was no shot. Yeah, there's no shot. It's not make it happen just to launch an arrow. Yep. Yep. So and as well as the shoulder theory. Well, it's not even a theory anymore. It's the anatomy. Absolutely. The, so the misplaced. Uh, it's a, just a misconception. Just, yeah, We've just drawn a straight we, line where it's not necessarily straight. Yeah. That's that's the straight line up from the back of the leg is not necessarily. Yeah. So let us know on that because I'll be curious to see if uh, everybody else had the same idea. I think some people have just haven't really said much about it because it. you I've watched people hit him there. You got to know that you're not you're not blowing through a straight up shoulder plate as well as they do in some of them. I just wonder where that concept came from that that whole thing was shoulder. Like well, I think it was an easy easy reference. You can see it. I think that's why. Yeah, the like, muscle and everything and like yeah, the crease in the yeah. You can see the whole shoulder when it moves. You'll see the whole thing. It looks well, like I the mean, plate. Well, I mean, I agree. With, like, the, the knuckle gives you a good thing to aim at. I mean, well, the knuckle, you should not. be shooting at the knuckle, yeah. but the area, I'm just wondering if that was taught somewhere or wh why we think that. I don't know. I guess that's my fault. I must have taught you guys that when you were young. Well, it's everybody. Everybody is. Like, you learn that in hunter education and everything, too. Well, right there's the anatomy, yeah, and it's sh it it's showing exactly what we're talking about right there. Yeah, that and that one I don't think is exactly accurate, but the 3D model we have is the vital zone is extremely yeah. accurate. All right, well, I hope that that kind of muddled the waters like tremendously for you, or <laughs> muddled, or <laughs> actually made we cleared the water for you. What is it? What is the Harry Potter reference? Muggle. I don't know. We started the <laughs> We started this podcast Ten with points to Gryffindor. <laughs> no idea what they were talking about, and we're going to end it with no idea what they're talking about. So Ten points to raised hunting. I think we should. You guys, I want to do a call-in section. Maybe we call it like Dad Disses or something, where all you all you guys that hunt with your dads, you call in and you get like. You call in and talk to East and I, and you get to diss your dad or something. Or maybe we'll ask you two questions. They're like your biggest like the, pet peeves. The most annoying thing about hunting with your dad, and then the so best thing about when, hunting with your dad. where do the dads fall? Yeah, but so we're, we're going to make one for you guys. If you'd listen, he's got the second half of the, okay. the proposal here. And then we're going to make another one where all you dads out there can call in and you can diss your kids. So you get to talk to David, and you guys can diss on us, and you diss on your own kids or something. Uh, let me know if you guys like that idea, and if so, we'll figure out how to let you guys call in, and we'll add that little segment to the podcast. And we we have fun. that capability. We can actually have people call in. I think our production guys have already said that it's a possibility. Well, we got to make sure people care about it first. Yeah. Make sure you guys actually want to call in. <laughs> so. All right, so we just wanted to say thank you, and uh, again, we've picked topics that we feel like, um, whether they're topics that are hard to discuss, 
admitting to who, I mean, who knows if thousands of people, hundreds of people or tens of thousands of people listen to this podcast and you're telling people, Hey, I wounded an animal and I lost it or this happened or that happened, man, if you can't be honest with everyone else, or if you can't be honest with yourself, who else can you be honest with? And what we're trying to do is show people that we've made mistakes and the mistakes that we've made have led to things though, that where we don't continue to make them. And so that's what we're trying to pass on. And so anyhow, we appreciate you guys and appreciate the the people that are starting to comment and call in and write in and tell us what you think of the podcast. So we truly appreciate you and uh, we hope that you'll stick with us until next time. So from the raised hunting crew, peace out.